0: The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Um, tonight, you'll turn to the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. Um, I want to preach to you tonight something that sometimes, as Primitive Baptists, we just take for granted. Uh, often when I when I stand before this congregation in this pulpit, I I just take for granted that we all understand and believe certain basic doctrines that are taught in the Word of God. Uh, I've had on my mind uh, for several days now that uh, that tonight I would try to uh, go to uh, some basic doctrines that we need to be reminded of from time to time. Um uh, when you tell someone you're a primitive Baptist, <clears throat> there's often uh, great misunderstanding, <laughs> great uh, uh, questions that are asked. And, and, you know, we need to be ready. The, uh, the writer of the book of Peter, Peter himself, wrote that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us of the hope that lies within us. And that, that simply means that when somebody asks you well, why are you primitive Baptists? Why do you believe what believe what you believe? And and you know why do you have that hope within you? Uh, then you need to be ready and able to give an answer as to what that is. Uh, don't need to be able to say you don't have shouldn't have to say oh well go ask brother Buddy or go ask brother Chris or or let me let me get back with you on that because I want to talk to my preacher and try to figure out what I believe. <laughs> we need to be prepared and grounded and be able to. Uh, to tell people what we have and I, sometimes we say we need to be able to defend our beliefs now I don't really like to put it that way because I don't think we have anything to defend I think we have something to promote <laughs> I think we have something positive to tell and we don't have to just circle the wagons and say well here let me let me parry this blow and let me parry that blow we've got a positive message in fact it's the most positive message that there is anywhere in the world amen And and I want to preach to you tonight uh, about one of those doctrines, one of those things that we as primitive Baptists believe and have believed uh, down through the centuries of time. And that's found in the book of Ephesians, the first chapter. And let me just say that I hate like everything that Brother Oliver's not here tonight. (laughs) I may just have to go preach this to him later on. Because if anybody believes these doctrines that I'm about to preach to you, it's Brother Oliver Junkin. So uh, be in prayer for him as he's recovering. So uh, let's just begin reading in verse 1, but I really want to start our thought in verse 3. But chapter 1 of Ephesians, in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now let me stop right there, and let me just point out something to you that's very important. The rest of this, uh, down through verse 6, the rest of these six verses here are pretty much a run-on sentence that Paul is apparently so excited about what he's talking about, that he just can't hardly get it out fast enough. You ever been that way? Just can't hardly spit it out quick enough. I get that way sometimes, and, and it, uh, get, I get tongue-tied. But Paul didn't get tongue-tied here. He just is excited. And I want you to notice that, that in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So what he's talking about is a blessing. He mentions the word blessed or blessing three times. So he's getting ready to tell us something that's exciting. He's getting ready to tell us something that comes from the very throne room of God because there are spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And he's going to share them with us here as he starts in verse 4. And this is the primary blessing. Listen to it. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Now, He just told us a mouthful right there. Now, I want to ask this question, and I want to ask it in a way that does not... Throw uh, cast dispersions on anybody else or any other denomination. But we're about to talk about the doctrine of election. We're fixing to use what is generally thought of as a dirty word in the denominational world, and that's the word predestination. (laughs) We're about to talk about something that you don't hear talked about anywhere else. Hardly. There's a few places that I know try to deal with it, and I'm going to deal with a couple of wrong explanations that doesn't really uh doesn't that are not biblical but the way people sometimes try to explain it. But when people think about primitive Baptists, one of the first things they think about, oh, y'all believe that predestination, right? And they kind of say it that way. <laughs> it's kind of a cast of the Spursons on us. You know, y'all believe that old predestination. And most of the time people that say that don't understand what we believe about it or what the Bible teaches about it. And most of the time those people that, that do it, they never hear it preached at their own church. Or if they're preachers, I have some preacher friends that do that and they don't ever deal with it. Now, why is that? Well, I, I'm certain that there are some preachers that know better and refuse to deal with it or try to deceive God's people. And so on. I'm sure there are. But that's not, I think that's not really the, 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 uh, the majority. I think that's a few here or there. I think primarily people just don't understand it. Preachers don't understand how to preach it. They don't know what it means and they're scared of it. Right. I think, you know, let me just say to you, let me just clear the air up front. Election and predestination is nothing to be afraid about. Amen. It is something to get excited about. Amen. You see, if you know yourself like I know myself, you're going to come to the conclusion at some point in your life, man, I need this. I need this. I need my salvation to be all in the hands of God Amen. and not in my own hands. You know, I've, I've, I'm 50 years old. I'll uh, be 51 this year. And in my 51 nearly years, and we'll, we'll, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but we'll, let me just go there anyway. In my 51 nearly years, I have never made one decision, I've never done one act that wasn't somehow tainted with the sin nature that's in me. You know, you think about that. Every good deed that you've ever done, every good deed I've ever done, there was some element of selfishness or some element of self-focus. You know, if nothing else, it was, oh, I'm going to do this, and man, people will think well of me if they see what I've done. Or even this. I'm going to do this, and boy, the Lord will just have to bless me if I do this. Now, certainly, there's some blessings in obedience, okay? You know that. You're not going to get blessed if you're on the path of the broad way that leads to destruction. You can't expect blessings. You can expect blessings when you're on the narrow way that leads to life, okay? You can expect them, but the problem is my motivation is primarily... Most of the time, self-focused. And even those times when I can step out of myself and be primarily focused on the spiritual, there's an element of that human nature that's there with me. And you know, the proof will be, uh, well, I started to say in the morning, the proof will be tonight. I feel, I feel great. I feel in the Spirit. I feel like the Spirit of God is here. I feel like we're together and what a blessed thing it is. The minute my feet hit that pavement out there, yeah. I start going back into the world, right. and I start thinking about things that uh, that I shouldn't think about. I start worrying about things. You know, worry is nothing but faithlessness. Yes. That's what Jesus said. I mean, I <laughs> I think that if I were on a boat and the boat was about to capsize, it was being overwhelmed by water. <clears throat> I think if I were at that point, I'd just say, "I give up. It's hopeless," yeah. and and that would be the natural reaction. Well, you know. That's what happened to the disciples, and Jesus, who was asleep in the hinder part of the ship, he got up and he said, "Oh, ye of little faith, where is your faith? (laughs) Even in the midst of a, you know, on the Titanic. If you were going down on the Titanic, I think I'd say, oh, there's no hope, you know. But he said, don't be faithless even in that situation. Because, you know, I love the response that uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego gave to the king you know when the time came this he said you're either gonna bow or you're gonna burn <laughs> mm-hmm. one of the two you're either gonna bow down to this idol or you're gonna burn in the fiery furnace and you know what they said they said now that was a that was a great statement of faith they made i i i hope that when faced with burning or bowing that i would have the same kind of faith they said king we're not careful to answer thee in this matter yeah. in other words i don't care what you think we're not we're not even hesitating here you know i I, I got to admit, I get up. There's times when I know I'm about to face some questions, and I, I get to calculating. And if I say this, it's going to, but if I don't, you know, they say, I, We don't care. We're not doing the calculus. We don't care. We're not careful to answer thee in this matter. For our God, which we serve, is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us, O king. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think about that often. Uh, you know, this, this sad. Tragic situation that occurred this week with my, you know, our my friend's daughter that was killed, Byron's daughter. Um, what a horrible situation! And sometimes people might ask the question, "Well, why didn't he? De- why didn't God deliver her?" Well, the answer is He did. He did deliver her. He delivered her into his very presence. You see, that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saying. They were saying, Lord, as a king, we don't care what we tell you because the Lord can deliver us and he's going to one way or the other, you know. I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace, and they're saying, "Don't threaten us with heavenly glory." Oh me, you're, you're threatening me with the presence of my Lord. What a threat, you know? He's saying, if the Lord will either deliver us as He did physically and and materially, naturally in that situation, or He'll just deliver us in His presence, one way or the other, we're going to be out of your out of your hands, O oh, King. <laughs> See, that's great faith right there. Yeah, that's great faith, but. It, I struggle with that because right now I have that kind of... I feel like right now if they offered it to me, I'd be fine. But in the morning, that's when the faith is tested. Notice what he says here as we get back to our subject. He says, blessed. And he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places... And now he gets down to the crux of the matter. What is the greatest blessing that we as children of God have? Right here it is. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Most teachings in the world say this to you as the center. The gospel out in the world is, is, that, is focused on the center. What are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to choose him? That's the message in the world that the only way you get to heaven is that if you choose Christ, what the Bible teaches, I got, I got good news for you. What the Bible teaches is, is that the only way we get to heaven is if he chooses you. <laughs> and that's a blessing because let me say this to you. I, my struggle, as I've said already, is that, is that every choice I've ever made in life has been tainted with sin, Notice what he says here as we continue reading in verse 4. He says, he, according as he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Don't miss that statement, child of God. That's important. Mm-hmm. Because guess what? In nature, we are not holy and without blame before him in love. We are not. Say, so how do we get that way, preacher? Well, let's, You know, one of the problems with people misunderstanding the doctrine of election is they don't understand what happened in the garden of Eden. So let's turn back there for just a minute and remember that in Genesis chapter one, the Lord created all things that are upon the earth and he created man in his own image. And at that time, man had a free will, if you will. Uh, He had, he had the ability to walk with God. He was created in innocence and he was created uh, without a sin nature and we're told in the second chapter that he had only one rule to follow. This is another reason I have to cling to the doctrines of grace, because that's not what we have, is it? You can look around and say, according to the laws of men, we have millions, or at least hundreds of thousands of rules to follow. Uh, you know the law books that I work from there, I think there's 42 volumes of, of books that have the laws just of the state of Alabama. And there's over 100 of the federal code and, and we, you know, I probably violated one of those rules today without even knowing it. <laughs> you know, there's no telling, there, did you know it's, a, did you know it's a criminal, it's a criminal, I didn't do this today, but you know it's a criminal act to, uh, to burn horse teeth, did you know that? Have you ever burned, well I'm sure none of you have done that, it's a criminal <laughs> act to burn, I mean there's all kinds of laws like that in, in the, in, on the books. There, there's, there's things you never would, drink. there's millions of laws in this world today. You say, well, let's just boil it back down to the Ten Commandments, <laughs> okay? Paul said, I've kept them all. He said, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not, uh, you know, commit adultery, and all. That. You say, Well, I've kept all of those. I've I've never murdered anybody. I haven't stolen from anybody. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't done any of these things. <laughs> but Paul said there was one that slew him, yeah. and it's that last one which says, Thou shalt not covet. You know, coveting is the basis of all the rest of them. There was a rich young ruler that came to Jesus. I think it's the 10th chapter of the book of Mark, but don't hold me to that. I believe that's where it is. He said, he came to Jesus and he said, good master, what must I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now he's talking about, tell me what to do to get to heaven. So that's the consideration we're talking about tonight, is it not? What can I do to get to heaven? Let's turn back over there. Let's just look at it while we're at it. I believe it's Mark chapter 10. If it's not, I'm in trouble. Uh, uh, here we go. Yeah, that's right. Verse uh, Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now I want you to notice something about this man that's coming to Jesus. He's running to him. He kneels before him. He's got a problem. He's not just a philosophical uh, uh, rabbi that's coming there wanting to know uh, theoretically about some doctrine. This is a man who's got a problem. This is a man who is interested in a solution he's he's got what what most of us would sometimes uh, most of the world would call under conviction okay he's under conviction yeah. he's got a burden that he's bringing to jesus he's he's uh, he's upset about something he runs to him and he falls down on the ground and he says what shall i do that i may inherit eternal life you know i've been in, I, i've been this man i've been there there were times when I was satisfied with myself. Then there was a time when I was not satisfied with me. Have you ever, has there ever been a day in your life, I'm talking about those that are spiritually aware. Has there ever been a day in your life when you were satisfied completely with yourself? Mm-hmm. Hadn't been a day. I, I don't, there's never been a day in my life where I was completely satisfied. I did everything right and I got it just the way it should be. <laughs> This man's not satisfied with himself, and he's concerned about it, and he says, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And this is where Jesus, if if indeed there are steps to take and choices to make, he should have said, Well, you you let me take you down the Roman road of salvation. Let me let me let me explain to you all the details of what you must do and the choices you must make and, and the prayer that you must pray. Here's the place he should have said it, but look at what he does. And I love what Jesus does. He, he answers people according to their way of thinking. Right. So this man says, I've got to do something. What is it, Lord? He said, okay, let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what you can do. Yeah. First of all, Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that is God. And I, I, I still believe, I believe that's the Lord's sort of wink, wink way of, yeah. I, I can't imagine that maybe he looked around at his disciples and said, Winked, you know winked at him and said why are you calling me good <laughs> in other words what's different in you now than it was when you were satisfied to be this rich young ruler that just didn't care about anything but materiality why are you calling me good now <laughs> it, it, could it be that he's pointing out to this young man that something has already happened in his heart something's already happened within him to make him realize that he needed eternal salvation we know that to be the new birth. Yes. We understand that a man who is in nature only cannot see the things of the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. And boy, that's a big statement. And what that means is, is that if you've never been born again... <clears throat> You're not interested in these things I'm talking about tonight. You're not interested in the things Jesus was selling. You're know, you not interested in buying this stuff about salvation. You don't need it. Because you've been born only in nature. You're dead spiritually. And there are many people like that in the world. There are many people like that. And guess what? You were like that one time. Most of the teachings of the world today say that you've got to do something to get born again. And my question to you is this, why would you care if you hadn't been born again? <laughs> why would you care if you don't know you need it? The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Amen, you know, one of the things of the Spirit of God is a revelation that you're a sinner. <laughs> you didn't come up with that on your own. You're not interested in that. If you, you know, think about the people that you may know. You may know some people that have no interest in the things of God. If you went to them and said, you're a sinner, and you need to do something different, they'd say, get away from me. I've done that. I've had that experience with people, not in those literal terms, but to realize, try to teach them something, and you realize you're casting your pearls before swine, they're not interested at all. See, they're dead spiritually. But this man has a burden. Mm -hmm. This man is feeling something spiritual that you can't feel if you're spiritually dead. This conviction we talked about, I've shared this with you many times, but I heard one of my old preacher friends say that the, the conviction of sin, the burden of sin is, is, is like if you took a, a thousand pound weight and laid it on the chest of a dead man, he won't feel it at all. But if that man's alive, he'll start feeling it and he'll, he'll start acting. He'll start squirming. He'll start crying out, you see. <laughs> you know, uh, I've also heard this illustration about the new birth Uh, Y'all know we have a basement in our house and let's just say that I was down there one day and uh, Sherry was making me walk on the treadmill and run on the treadmill and I had a heart attack and died. So she's really not doing that, I promise, which is obvious she's not. But anyway, uh, (laughs) but if I died in my basement, I was dead physically. I was dead to the physical world. Remember, we're talking about somebody that's dead to the spiritual world, but I'm dead to the physical world. You can come to the top of those stairs and you can call down to me and say, hey, come on up the stairs and there's a million dollars up here. There's a great blessing up here at the top, top of the stairs. Am I going to come up? <laughs> I'm dead. No. You can, you can try to bribe me. You can say, hey, I got a million dollars I'll give you. If you'll just come up the stairs, you can, you can cajole me, you can, but I'm dead, I'm not coming. You can threaten me, you can say, and we hear this in the world today, we could, you can could threaten me say, the house is on fire and it's burning down around you. If you don't come up the stairs, you're going to burn up too. And guess what? As long as I'm dead, I'm just going to sit right there where I was. Yeah. See, that's, that's the same principle applies in the spiritual realm. We we hear preaching today that begs and pleads and bribes and threatens and all kinds of things to a dead man saying, do something to get born again. When the truth is, if you're dead to any realm, particularly, you know, the physical or the spiritual, you can't operate in those. If we had had a, a funeral here today and somebody came down to the casket and looked in and said, if you'll just take my hand, I'll save you you'd probably call the guys with the little nets, the butterfly nets and the, and the white suits to take him off, wouldn't you? you know? But yet, that's what's taught in the religious world today on a spiritual level, that a, that a spiritually dead man can do something to make himself alive. See, it all goes back to the garden. Remember what we were talking about. And keep your finger there in Mark 10. And let's just look and see what happened to Adam. And what the Lord himself told Adam would happen Adam only had one law. You know, we got 10. Jesus said there's one upon which the whole law, uh, or two upon which the whole law hinges. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind, and and thy neighbor as thyself. So even if you say we just got two, Adam only had one. In Genesis 2 and verse... uh, Verse 17, he said, God told him, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. We read in the third chapter that Adam and Eve both ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And guess what happened? They didn't die physically, and that wasn't, but that wasn't what God was talking about. Right. They died spiritually spiritually. And everyone after Adam was born in his likeness and after his image. You see, we think we talk about the innocent little babies and they are innocent from the standpoint of they haven't done anything. But they're not innocent in their nature. You know, also, we we talked about this before here. Uh, How many babies do you know? How many young children do you know that have to be taught to do wrong? Is there anybody, is there any child out there that, that, that you know of that ever had to be taught not to cry when they wanted something <laughs> and to be patient and selfless? No, mine weren't that way. Maybe you had better children than I did, but uh, but I'll tell you what, the first word they learned was mine, mine, <laughs> you know, or go take it away from somebody. I, we were watching, anyway, I won't get into all that. We've been watching some old videos, and we've seen some, uh, some funny things. <laughs> uh, involving our youngest daughter actually uh, <laughs> pushing somebody down but anyway that's that's another story <laughs> I Austin took the blame I've, I've had to apologize for him but they were little I mean they were just babies you know and they don't have to be taught to do right they have to be taught to do I mean don't have to be taught to do wrong they have to be taught to do right <laughs> see in our very natures, we are dead in trespasses and sins. That's what he said in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. You hath he quicken who were dead in trespasses and in sins. We're in a dilemma. We're in a dilemma. Because we can't save ourselves because we're spiritually dead. But look at this rich young ruler. He came running. And he kneeled. And he's he's agonizing over a question good master what shall i do that i may inherit eternal life and jesus said why do you call me good i think again he's pointing out to the fact him something has changed in his life this made him now realize he's a sinner and that burden of sin is on him and he's concerned about his eternal destiny there are people in the world that are not concerned about it you and i were not concerned about it before we were born again so he said, what must I do? So Jesus says, okay, that's what you're thinking. Here's what I'm going to tell you. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and thy mother. You know, you know what the law is. Keep it. You know, we know what the law is, don't we? Those of us that have set under the preaching of sound preachers through you, we know what the law is. We know what the rules are. Basically, esteem others greater than thyself. Put yourself down and others up. Do right. You know, if you do that, you don't have to worry about the Ten Commandments. You know, you're going to be fine. But do we do it all the time? (laughs) No, we don't. Just do it all the time. Keep it and you'll go to heaven, he says. (laughs) This poor guy, this poor rich young ruler, he answered him and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. (laughs) I've done this. Notice he had done this, and he probably I'm certain he had probably kept most of these, outwardly kept these commandments. And, and, and Jesus um, said, that's what you got to do to get to heaven. He's still not satisfied. Now I want to say to you, child of God, anything that the world will tell you you've got to do to get yourself to heaven, you will never be satisfied with it. Right. You know why? Because like this rich young ruler, you know yourself too well. You may try to hide it. You may try to turn it off and forget about it, but you know in your heart what you are. Isaiah chapter 64 in verse 6. This is what Isaiah says. Very familiar passage to you Bible readers. You know what's in your heart? He says, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That righteousness is, means righteous works. Everything we do. Everything we do. You know, in the sight of God, you say, well, Lord, look, I've done this. I've done that. You know, I've kept the law. I've, I've not committed murder. I've helped people. I've done this. You know what it is in the sight of God, apart from grace? It is filthy rags. Nothing. There is nothing you can present to the Lord that he will be pleased with in nature. Right. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm talking about. I'm talking about eternal salvation here. And, and doing something to get you into the portals of glory by your own efforts. It will not work. Now, are there things the Lord is pleased with here after that we've been born again, after that we are uh, trying to serve him as children of God? Yes, there are things he's pleased with. But but there's nothing he's pleased with enough that will get you to heaven. Because what we have is filthy rags And that means that every time you bring one of your works before God, and you say, I made this choice, I made that choice, I did this good deed, uh, I I followed the law here, I did this, and you lay it before the throne of grace, and you say, God, get me to heaven based on that. He sees it as a pile of stinking, dirty rags. Mm -hmm. That's it. Filthy rags. And by the way, you can blame Adam for that. Because in the day that he ate of the fruit... He died spiritually, and we died in him. Mm-hmm. You say, well, boy, that's not fair, because he's our, you know, we shouldn't, it should be on my own deeds, and all. We, we shouldn't allow people to represent us, but we do it all the time. We elect them to go to Washington, we elect them to go to Montgomery. <laughs> God just elected this one, and he was our best representative. Sometimes we get it all messed up, we get the wrong representative. God got the perfect representative. You say, I'd have done better if I'd have been there. No, you'd have, done, you'd have sinned quicker if you'd have been there, because you're not as good as Adam. God is a perfect God, and He picked the perfect representative for us. The best we could ever expect was in Adam. And He fell. And we fell in Him. So He told the rich young ruler, He said, you go do these things. And He said, Master, I've done these for my youth. And then Jesus said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. You notice what the Lord did here? <clears throat> he got down to the heart of the matter. Yes. He got down to the heart of the matter, which He tends to do. <laughs> he doesn't just gloss over the edges and you know, He doesn't just throw out little pithy sayings and all that. He gets down to the heart of the matter. You know, there was a, there was a woman at a well one day and he came upon and said, She, you know, talked to her a little bit. He said, Go call your husband. (laughs) I could just see her. I mean, they were talking about the Messiah already. They were talking about the Messiah. Said, go call your husband. You know, Jesus knew that she wasn't married and that she was living with a man and that she'd been married five times. He knew that. He got down to the heart of the matter god does that jesus does that he peels away all of the exterior all the gloss and he gets down to the heart of the matter and the heart of the matter was that this rich young ruler was not violating these other nine commandments oh but thou shalt not covet got him every time you know that one gets me every time the first nine you could theoretically keep them outwardly but that last one will get you because you may not have committed adultery, but you may have coveted your neighbor's wife. You may not have stolen, but you may have coveted your neighbor's car or his field. You may not have murdered, but you may have coveted your enemy's life to take it away because he was bothering you. You see, that's what Jesus said, that sin is not just outward, sin is in the heart, and it's the heart that's the problem. Jeremiah tells us in seven, chapter 17 and verse 9 that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? People say, Give your heart to Jesus. He do not want your old heart, He wants to give you a new heart. <laughs> He's got to give you a new heart and take that old heart out and give you something new in there, you see. <clears throat> verse 22 He was sad at that saying and went away grieved. For he had great possessions. I wish I could spend more time here, but I, I, let me just say this. You notice I, I skipped over a little phrase. In verse 21, when Jesus said he beh- beheld him, it said Jesus beholding him loved him. That tells us something very important about this rich young ruler. This tells us he was a child of God. Yes. This tells us he was one that was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, and and this is a different topic for a different day. But it also tells us that as children of God, as the elect of God, as those that were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, that He died for, and who have been born again, we can still neglect our walk with Him. We won't go to hell, but all will experience hell on earth. And Jesus goes on to say, in verse twenty three: How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom? And he goes on down and he says in, in verse 25, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And in verse 26, he said, they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? Now I want you to notice what Jesus said because this kind of clears up any confusion about whether it's us that makes the choice to go to heaven or where God makes the choice to get us to heaven. And Jesus looking upon them saith, with men it is impossible. What's impossible? What's impossible? Rich Young Ruler said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That tells me that it's impossible. It's impossible for man. With men it's impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. You see, this doctrine of election, this doctrine of predestination, that, that is so misunderstood and maligned by the world is the key doctrine to under to, to to giving us assurance that we will have any hope of heaven one day. Going back to Ephesians chapter one, according in verse four, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. We who are filthy rags in our righteousnesses, we whose heart is deceitful above all things, we who died spiritually in Adam, we who are dead in trespasses and sins because He chose us in Him, because He chose a people in Him before the foundation of the world, we now are holy and without blame before Him in love. And notice as we continue reading verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Predestination is misunderstood in the world. Many people that I deal with, they think that I mean by that that things that occur in life are predestinated by God. The word predestination is found four times in the word of God. It's found uh, once here it's found twice in the 8th chapter of Romans. And uh, I, I think it's, it's found twice here in Ephesians and twice in Romans. And, um, and uh, it always applies not to things and events, but to people. Yes. Notice having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself. Turn with me back to Romans chapter 8 right quick. Romans chapter 8 gives us a, a good overview of these doctrines that we're talking about. Romans chapter eight says this, verse twenty eight. We'll start there, but uh, uh, but notice that most people quote. You know, this is another another case where people take one verse out of the Word of God and don't look at the context. Many people know Romans eight twenty eight. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Very few people know Romans eight and twenty nine. But notice that eight and twenty eight and twenty nine are linked together. He says, for, which means you've got to look at the previous verse. You've got to look at that. These things that he's talking about that work together for our good, he's fixing to tell us what they are. For whom he did foreknow. Now, people often misunderstand that, but that's talking about the doctrine of election. Whom he did foreknow. They say, well, you know, just talking about that God looked down through time and saw what you would do, whether you would choose Him or whether you would live righteously or whether you wouldn't. And therefore He chose you based on what He saw. I've said this many times before too. If you go to Psalm 14th chapter, you'll find that the Lord did look down through time. He says, we're told in, I believe it's the third verse, second verse, He says, the Lord looked down upon the children of men. To see if there were any that did follow him. Let's just look at that. <laughs> I, I can quote it, but let's just, it's always better to read it if you can. Psalm 14, verse 2. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. So he did look down. He did. That's that that explanation, that is a false explanation. Of election that people say that he looked down to see what you would do and based on what you did he chose you that is a half truth and a half truth is sometimes worse than a lie but the truth the half truth is he did look down and notice what he saw he looked down to see if there were any that did understand and seek god he said they are all gone aside they are all together become filthy there is none that doeth good and as if he were anticipating the objection or the question, you mean there's none? He said, no, not one. Amen. Not one. That covers it all, beloved. Yeah. That covers everyone. That covers me, and you, anyone that's ever lived since the time of Adam. Yeah. No, not one. For whom he did foreknow. <clears throat> Wait a minute. There's a glimmer of hope. There's a glimmer of hope for whom he did foreknow. Well, he knew everybody. If he knew everybody and everybody is going to be, you know, it applies what the ones he's talking about here is applied in each situation as he continues to progress here. Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Whom he predestinated, he also called. So we're talking about everybody. So if he's talking about foreknowing everybody in the sense of he just knew who they were, then I guess everybody's going to be in heaven but we see that that's not true. There are those that don't care about the Lord. There are those that never have one glimmer of spiritual life. So there's something deeper here. It's not what he foreknew that they would do. For whom he foreknew, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The doctrine of election and predestination, the twin doctrines are contained right there in that verse. Election is, having, is being chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before time started, the doctrine of election took place. The election of God took place. And because of the election of God, he elected and chose a people that otherwise would have gone to hell. That otherwise would have been paying on the debt that they owe God forever. He chose a people before the foundation of the world and predestinated them that they would be conformed to his image when at the end of time at the end of time sort of covers the whole gamut doesn't it from beginning to end from before the beginning till after the end for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren (laughs) and we go go on to see that whom he did predestinate he also called whom he called he also justified and whom he justified he also glorified I like that you know, there's not, the Lord's not waiting to see who gets in in order to glorify them one day, hopefully. In His mind, it's already settled. Right. They're already glorified. Amen. Back to Ephesians, and we'll kind of bring this to a close. Several more things that I want to get to over the next, maybe the next couple of weeks, we'll look at this. Verse 5, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself. What happens in an adoption? Does the child choose who his parents are? Or do the parents choose who, the, who they're going to adopt as a child? And by the way, this adoption that he's talking about here is ultimately the resurrection, ultimately being conformed to the image of his son. You know, an, an adoption is not complete until, until the child's taken home, is it? You can do all the legal stuff, and that's what the Lord Jesus did on the cross. Right. He did all the, he took care of all the legal stuff. He, he legally redeemed us, he legally adopted yeah. us, but one day he's going to take us home. Amen. I like that. Yeah. According to the good pleasure of the sinner's will? no no, according to the good pleasure of His will. Yeah. That, that idea there is of, is of the grace of God, the kind intentions of God, the loving intentions of god the good pleasure of his will i want to say this to you oftentimes people think about predestination in a negative way that he predestinated some to be conformed to the image of christ and he predestinated others to be condemned to hell forever we do not need god's help getting to hell that's right That's right. right. we're going there on our own (laughs) i don't need the lord's help to get me to hell i need all of his help to get me to heaven you see you see, predestination, the doctrine of election, doesn't have anything to do with hell. It doesn't have anything to do with the wrath of God. The most precious statement, and we were going to get there tonight, but our time is gone. We don't have time to finish up. But, but over in the ninth chapter of Romans, uh, one of the most amazing, uh, the ninth chapter it tells us about uh, the, the doctrine of election using the illustration of Jacob and Esau. It said, "Jacob have I loved, and Esau, have I hated." People say, "He hated Esau. Listen. He ought to have. He ought to have hated me. He ought to have hated all of us. I don't understand why he loved Jacob. But he says in there, he says, uh, uh, talks about uh, uh, the, the doctrine of election after verse 13 goes to verse 14. What should we say then is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Some people say it's just not fair. It's not righteous. It wouldn't be right for God to choose some and pass others by. But notice what he did in verse 15. First he said in verse 15, 14, God forbid, you don't know the nature of God if you're complaining about God being unrighteous. God is never unrighteous. But here's the best statement of the doctrine of election I've ever heard. Verse 15, for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Mm-hmm. If anybody ever tries to put pin you down and put you in a situation where they're trying to talk about the doctrine of election and a wrath uh, and, and combine that with the wrath of God. Oh, well, so God just uh, chose some to go to hell. He chose he, he predestined these to hell. Let me tell you, God didn't predestine anybody to hell. Mm-hmm. That's why we're not Calvinists, by the way. Yeah. John Calvin believed that he believed in double predestination. No, we were going to hell on our own. This is the doctrine of election. It's the mercy and compassion of God. It's the mercy. Verse 16, as we bring this sort of to a close, he says, So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. You know what salvation is? It's not of your will. People say exercise your will to get saved. There's a lot of will exercising after you've been born again. Right. But there is no will to be born again. There's no will to be exercised before you're born again. He says, it's not of him that willeth, nor is it of him that runneth. You can't work your way to heaven. See, the will is talking about the function of the mind. The running's talking about the function of the body and the acts we do. It's not about either one. He said, but it's of God that showeth mercy. Amen. And why? Why all this? Why is it important that we understand this? Well, a couple of reasons. One is it glorifies God. Ephesians 1 verse 6 To the praise of the glory of His grace wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. You see it's not about accepting Jesus it's about being made accepted. Because I tell you I I think about Brother Luke so often as he was raised in a different uh, order Brother Luke Hagler said I've accepted Jesus a thousand times. He said I, he said, I, I did it one time and came down front to the church. He said, I accepted him into my heart and, did all, but every time the preacher gave an invitation after that, I silently quietly pray, oh Lord, if, if I didn't do it right the first time, I'll do it this time, I accept you again. Yeah. I, I just pray, if I didn't get it right the time before, I accept you again because he'd go out and he'd still be a sinner and he'd still be struggling with sin and he never felt satisfied with anything he did to get himself to heaven. And I want to say to you, child of God, I've never been satisfied with anything that i tried to put in my way to do to get to heaven. And you won't be either. You won't be either. See, that's another reason we need to understand the doctrine of election and the doctrine of grace. I'll leave you with this. You know, sometimes people say to you and, and they bring up questions and you're going to face these. They say, well, what about that person that's? Wanting to go to heaven. Loves the Lord. I had somebody actually email me about this. And, and they were struggling with that. They said, you know, I'm struggling with what my father believes. Because, I, you know, I want to go to heaven so bad. And his, uh, her father was a primitive Baptist. Said, I want to go to heaven so bad. And every day I pray that I could go to heaven. But does that mean that if I wasn't chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, then, then all that doesn't matter? And I, I was... I just, my heart broke when I heard her yeah. or I read that because I wanted to just run to her and, and take her in my arms and say, sweet sister, you don't have to worry. If you've got those struggles, that means you've already been born in the spirit. He <laughs> said, what about that person that wants to go to heaven but can't because they weren't chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world? That person is a person that doesn't exist. That person doesn't exist. If you find yourself in the position of desiring Christ, loving your, uh, your heart boiling for your beloved like we preached about this morning, then that's the strongest evidence you'll ever have that you're one of His, that you've been born of the Spirit. Oh, what a blessed thing it is. And then when you see that, you see, that, that doctrine glorifies God more than any other doctrine because it puts all of the saving in His hands. You know, if somebody said, me and Jesus got a good thing going. Well, we, we got a partnership going, I'll tell you. I did all the sinning and He did all the saving. <laughs> Yeah, we got a little partnership here. But the problem is I'm the bad partner. That puts the glory on God because He did all of the saving. But it also helps you and me. You know, sometimes there are those that teach that you can be saved one day and lost the next. I don't know about you, but I don't like that idea. Because that means if I sin and then don't repent of it quick enough or before I die, then I'm going to, hell, going to hell instead of heaven, even though I've been saved, as the world will tell you. See, I don't know about you, but when I get startled, when something shocks or scares me, you know, I had to slam on the brakes the other day going down the road and thank the Lord I was able to stop. But the first words that came to my mind weren't praise Jesus. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's kind of my, my human nature takes over. And, and, and the words that come to my mind aren't, oh, thank you, Lord. You know, it's something else. And, and, and oh, how horrible it would be if I were in a fatal wreck. And I were startled like that. And instead of praise Jesus, something else came into my mind or out of my mouth. And I died without getting a chance to repent of it. Oh, that'd be horrible. That'd be horrible. And we shouldn't say those things or think those things. Don't, don't misunderstand me. He said we're to be the, to the praise of the glory of His grace. He's created us under good works that we, should, that we should walk in them. okay? We ought to do that. Somebody says, if I believe the way you did, I'd... Sin all I want to. Well, I got you beat. I believe the way I do and I sin more than I want to. (laughs) Okay? But here's my point. We need the doctrine. We need to understand the doctrine of election because that gives us the assurance that will take us through all the trials of life. It will help us in every situation. It'll help us. It'll help us tomorrow, those of us that go to that funeral at 2 o'clock, to understand that that sweet little girl that died in that tragic accident If she was, and I believe she was based on her life and her profession and her confession of faith, if she was one of God's children, it doesn't matter what happened. It doesn't matter what occurred. It doesn't matter where she. that He loved her before the foundation of the world, just like He loves every other one of His children. And when that time comes for her or you or me or anyone else to die, then we can rest in the arms of Jesus. We can rest in the fact that our salvation is holy and solely of Him. Mm-hmm. What a glorious doctrine this is. Don't be ashamed of the doctrine of election. Be proud of it. Be thankful for it. Yeah. Praise God for it, for it is the greatest mercy that God has ever showed to man. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.